So we're going to continue on with cultivating an open-hearted life. There's two titles for this book, one title when it was published in UK, another title when it was published here. Um, so we're on chapter 48, so you might go, ah, I haven't read the first 47, I won't know what's going on. It's okay. This is the kind of stuff that you can just pick up. Uh, you'll, you'll know what we're talking about. Okay. I like to always start with a little bit of um, breathing meditation to calm our mind. And then we will um, start with the chapter. Okay. So come back to your breath. And then let's generate our motivation and think that as we learn how to develop and live an open-hearted life, let's do that with the motivation of compassion for all living beings, Wishing everybody to be free from unsatisfactory conditions and their causes. And wishing all of these beings, all of us, overwhelmed by our ignorance, anger, and attachment, to stop causing each other pain and harm and instead to think of how to benefit each other how to link together and uh, do something that brings good in the world so of course that means giving up our preferences some of our preferences our expectations, our demands, and the idea that the world should be what I want it to be and what I think it should be. And instead, learning to be flexible and to be skillful and have a kind heart towards all. And so with that kind of motivation, then let's share the Dharma. So uh, this book was co-authored by uh, Dr. Russell Colts. He's a, uh, a professor at U, uh, not UW, at uh, Eastern, okay? And so he wrote some of the chapters, and I wrote other chapters. So the first one we're going to start with right now is a chapter he wrote. <clears throat> 
but we kind of read each other's uh, chapters and made made sure they passed the grade. <laughs> okay, so uh, he says, so far we've discussed ways of approaching compassionate communication that involve helping ourselves work with emotions like anger and fear that can interfere with our ability to communicate effectively and kindly with others. We all know anger and fear, right? Yeah, and do we communicate well when those are manifest in our mind? Mm -mm. We may communicate loudly, (laughs) but we don't communicate well. (laughs) The idea is that we manage our own emotions first, and once we're feeling more in control, of our threat emotions, we can confidently interact with others without harming our relationship with them. So Russell uh, talks about emotions being of three kinds. So threat emotions, where we feel danger, yeah, and then we usually get defensive, angry, fearful, and so forth. And um, safety emotions, where we feel relaxed and comfortable and safe. And then I forget the title. Anybody remember? It's the gravitating emotions where we're looking for something, okay, and we're wanting something, those emotions where we're reaching out. I forget the, his exact term. Drive, for drive. drive emotions, okay, yeah. So we're driven to get something, yeah. So, um yeah, when we're more in control of our threat emotions, then there's much more of an open mind. Whereas, you know, sometimes just the smallest, tiniest thing, I'm not not even talking about the war in Ukraine that make us feel threatened, but just somebody, you know, not smiling at us when we say hello, they don't like me. You know, we, we impute all sorts of stuff, just small things. It's incredible. So, um, yeah, so it it can be challenging um, because to to uh, release those, you know, before communicating, because emotions like anger and fear carry with them a feeling of urgency, a strong motivation to act immediately to resolve the situation. Is that true in your experience? It's true in mine. If I'm at a meeting and somebody says something just a little bit that I don't think is such a good idea, it's like I need to interrupt and like cut this right at the moment. Otherwise, other people are going to believe what that person says. And then the next thing we know, the world is going to collapse. So I better interrupt and fix it and tell that person they don't know what they're talking about even though I don't either. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so that sense of urgency, you know, when, when we feel threatened or offended, insulted, uh, dismissed, neglected, you know, those are the kind of threat emotions. It's like, I got to do something right away. I cannot tolerate this situation. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, but if we dive into things when we're caught in the grip of these emotions, it's difficult to interact compassionately with others. In fact, we don't even think of compassion at that moment. We are totally focused on getting on getting rid of this threat. Yeah. Like compassion for the other person, forget it. Understanding them, not necessary. Being polite, for you know, who does that? I got to, you know, stop this right now. Okay. So it is also easy to behave in ways we'll regret, ways that make the situation worse and damage our relationships. What's your experience? When you're angry, fearful, when you feel insulted or denigrated or ignored, yeah? Do you behave in ways that remedy the situation? (laughs) No. (laughs) You know, we usually go, and if it's somebody we're very close to, you're ignoring me. Don't you listen to what I say? You never listen to what I say. We've been married 45 years and three days, and you've never listened to me. You know, uh, it's just, yeah. Okay. So, so when we react that way, yeah, uh, then how do the other people react? Do they say, And, you know, we speak in that tone of voice. We make exaggerated accusations, which we don't think are exaggerated at that moment. We think they're totally true. But um, how does the other person react? Do they say, oh, thank you for being so understanding. You're totally right. It's all my fault and I'll change. Is that how they respond? Uh-uh. Okay, so we often make the situation worse. Even though what we're doing is trying to be happy because our mind is overwhelmed by these disturbing emotions, then we usually make the situation worse. So how do we know when we're ready to take on handling conflicts with others? So in uh, my, here's Russell's voice uh, speaking. In my anger groups, we came up with a metaphor, the mindful emotion traffic light. Before diving into a dis, uh, difficult situation, I think he, he uh, did this. He was leading up a group at uh, Airway Heights, and I think the, the inmates, the Incarcerated people came up with this uh, this metaphor here. Okay, so the mindful emotion traffic light. So before diving into a difficult situation, we pause to notice and identify our emotions and their intensity. How often do we usually do that? No, we just keep going. If we find, yeah, but here we stop. Yeah, so you're at a red light. So if we find we're in the red, 
caught up in the midst of a powerful threat emotion like anger. It's time to stop, refrain from diving into the situation, and shift the focus to balancing our own emotions. Okay, so if we're upset, if we're agitated, if we feel like exploding, instead of doing that, step back, you know, and calm our mind. Um, people have, have many different ways to calm their mind. Many, some people come to uh, um, watch the breath. Yeah. Other people say mantra. One of uh, our friends in Colorado told us a very interesting story about, about that. Um, you know there's been fires in Colorado. Yeah, it's, it's March, the wet season, and there's fires. So her apartment building, uh, they were told, she lives in Boulder, they were told to evacuate. So she was outside, you know, and, uh, and there was a man in a wheelchair who was one of her neighbors who she had seen by sight but didn't, had never spoken to him. And his son was apparently uh, back in the apartment trying to get a few things. And so she, you know, the man in the wheelchair looked really agitated and upset. And so she thought she'd talk to him. So she started, you know, talking to him. And she said, well, what, what do you do um, to calm yourself? And he said, I chant Tara Mantra. <laughs> <laughs> she did a, yeah she went oh she had no idea that he was Buddhist and so they started talking and yes he had been a Buddhist for you know I don't know 27 years or something and that's how he he calmed himself so they started chanting uh, Tara Mantra together out on the sidewalk waiting for his son to come out and then they would leave yeah, but yeah, chanting mantra, uh, even we, we could chant it out loud or just inside, you know, it can, it can really calm us down. Okay, so stop and try and balance our own emotions. A good way to start is by slowing down the breath and then using some of the approaches described in this book such as compassionately asking ourselves, what would help me feel safe and balanced as I approach this situation? So that's a good idea, isn't it? Do we ever think to ask ourselves that? What would help me feel safe and balanced right now? What would help me feel uh, relaxed enough to be able to take care about how I communicate? It's a good question to learn how to ask ourselves. You know, we, we seldom do it. We usually, we're usually just plunging ahead. If we're in the yellow in the traffic light, uh, emotional traffic light, our minds are still colored by irritation or anxiety, but we proceed with caution 
pausing to calm ourselves and reframe the situation in our minds using some of the techniques described. So you have to read the beginning part of the book. The book is available downstairs in the Dharma room. It's, yes, uh, this is an unpaid uh, public uh, announcement. Um, (laughs) Okay. But it has lots of good things in it. Okay. Uh, So slowing things uh, down, we can try to understand how everyone involved is feeling and interpreting the situation and approach things with a compassionate uh, intent to benefit everyone and harm no one. Yeah. What is really interesting in this is to stop and think, how does this situation look to somebody, to the other person? Yeah, here's another person. They don't know what's going on inside of me. They don't know what my red buttons are, what triggers me. They're just going through life trying to be them. Yeah, and then they come upon somebody like me, and I'm going, because I'm upset about something they said or did. And how are they supposed to know that before, that that was going to make me upset? Yeah. You know, they can't read my mind. So how does the situation look to somebody else when I'm, you know, I'm very sensitive and then... Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting to think about because that slows us down and we begin to realize, oh, this situation is a dependent arising event. Yeah. There's two of us, maybe more than two of us in the situation. And how I'm seeing the situation is exactly that. It's how I am seeing it. It is not an objective reality of what the situation actually is. Okay, you're getting what, I, what I'm saying? Because usually in our experience, when we see or hear things, there's interpretation going on. But we don't recognize that we're interpreting. We don't recognize that we're picking out certain details in the situation or in the interaction and then giving them meaning. Instead, we think that all of our interpretation and projection of meaning, projection of motivations on the other thing, other person, we think all of that is factual, objectively existing out there. And it's not. It's we're seeing it through our own eyes. Yeah. And uh, we have a filter. Because we perceive everything through the eyes of me, I, my, and mine. Yeah? And the other person is not looking at this situation through our eyes. They're looking at it through their eyes. And they're seeing something quite different. Okay? But when we don't realize that, and we think we're perceiving an objective reality... You know, that person is intentionally doing that to get in my way and impede me from doing this. And, you know, they're always doing that and I just can't stand it. 
and we think that we're imputing a motivation for what they're doing, we're imputing the meaning of what they're doing. We haven't checked any of this information with them. Yeah. We're not going up and saying, are you intentionally trying to drive me crazy by doing this? You know, are you intentionally being late because you know I don't like people being late? Yeah. Are you intentionally not looking at me because you think I'm the scum of the world? Okay. What, what, what do you think would happen if you asked that to somebody <laughs> who you were projecting that onto? Yeah. You think they're going to say, oh, yeah, sure. I really think you're like that. You finally got it. I, I don't think so, you know. Okay. Finally, if we check in with ourselves and we find we're in the green, feeling calm, safe, and undisturbed by our our emotions, we briefly remind ourselves of the compassionate intention to empathetically reflect on our experience and that of the other person and confidently proceed. Okay, so we go forward with an open mind that it wants to try and understand what the situation looks like for somebody else. Okay, so here's the reflection that we do. So as you move throughout the day, take a moment to check in with your emotional traffic light, particularly if you find yourself feeling stressed or frustrated. Notice what emotions have arisen within you and what thoughts, motivations, and behaviors they inspire in you. And also notice the thoughts, motivations, and behaviors you're projecting on the other person, too. If you catch yourself in the red, driven by threat emotions such as anger or fear, take a minute and slow down your breathing. Once you've slowed things down a bit, see if you can adapt a compassionate perspective when examining the situation. Okay, so broaden the perspective. It's not, you know, there's this earth-shattering moment where you realize it's not all about me. Yeah, wow, imagine that. Shocking. Is this situation really that terrible or urgent? Or does it just feel that way because you're operating in the red? How might you counsel a friend or a loved one who is going through the same thing? What validation, advice, or encouragement would you offer him or her? And so what advice, encouragement, and so on would you give to yourself? about how to handle the situation. Is there another way of looking at the situation that doesn't keep you locked into threat emotions such as anger? Okay, I was thinking about this the other day as I was getting quite agitated by the way somebody was doing something. You know, know, these things have, you know, some small thing, and it's like, why are they doing it like that? You know, my way is better. 
<laughs> yeah. And if they do things my way, they would feel more relaxed and they'd have more time, you know. But they're just so hooked on their way of doing it that wastes time, man. <sighs> okay. And then it's like as I really started to look at it, I realized, okay, I have ways of doing things that work for me. This person has ways of doing the same thing that work for them. And the ways they have of doing it are different than the ways I have of doing it. And there's no right way or wrong way, you know. It, it depends mostly on what works for, that, for the person. So if for that person, doing it the long way helps them because then they feel you know, that everything is more predictable and set and, you know, not going to be chaotic, uh, then that works for them. That's fine. Yeah. I don't need to go and say, you know, you should really be like me. <laughs> yeah. Because my way of doing things, much better. Yeah. You don't waste so much time. But for that other person, it's not wasting time. It's covering all the bases. Okay. So we learn to notice when we're in the red and to shift ourselves to the green, bringing up feelings of safeness and calm before dealing with the situation itself. So in the situation I was talking about, I didn't have to say or do anything because I realized it was basically just my own arrogance that was functioning at that moment. Okay, in this way, we can be at our best as we face the challenges life has to offer. Okay, so now, that, that was a short chapter. We're going to go on to chapter 49, which is called Making Requests. Yeah, And this is based on um, NVC, Nonviolent Communication, by Marshall Rosenberg, where he talks about, uh, you know, how to really listen to a person, uh, ask them what they're feeling, try and see the situation empathically with them. Uh, and, you know, stepping back to really listen to somebody else and, and see what the real issues are. Okay. And then learning, uh, to discern, you know, when, uh, you know, do we really need to make a request? to them to change their behavior, uh, like in the situation I just spoke of with myself, I realized no, okay, didn't need to say anything. Um, but, you know, if we do feel like it's a situation where we do need to uh, ask them to change their behavior, how do we make a request and be okay with them saying no, possibly, which is very different than making a demand, which is they cannot say no. Okay. And some people function such that as soon as you, as soon as they hear you making a demand, it doesn't mean you're making a demand, but they hear it that way. As soon as they hear that, yeah, doesn't matter what the, what the, you're asking. Uh, they say no, because they don't like to be told what to do. Anybody here not like to be told what to do? 
Oh, only one person raised their hand. Oh, okay. The rest of you are totally okay with being told what to do. Oh, perfect. That's great. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll be very harmonious together. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is a chapter I did, but it's a lot based on uh, on NBC. As human beings, we often make requests of others to help us fulfill our needs. Okay, so we also have to discriminate what are our needs and what are our wants. Yeah, we often confuse needs with wants. Okay, and we get really messed up then because I don't really need it, but I want it. And I want you to change your behavior. I want this to be like this. Yeah, and so we push. Okay, our requests are most effective when we are in a positive mental state and express our request in an appropriate manner and at an appropriate time. Yeah. But when we have that sense of urgency and we can't stand something, we've got to say it right now. We don't care if the person is late for going somewhere. We don't care if they're having a heart attack. We have to say what we want to say and push our agenda now. Okay, that often doesn't go so well, does it? Okay, when our minds are clear about our feelings and needs and when the other party is receptive, okay, so they aren't in the middle of doing something, they aren't walking somewhere, you know, they aren't in a hurry, they aren't in the middle of a uh, an important conversation, they aren't in the middle of writing something where if they get disturbed, you know, they can't get their concentration back. Okay. So to really look, what's the other person doing? And, you know, is this a good time to say something? And sometimes it's good to ask. Is this a good time to ask you a question? Or, you know? Okay. So, uh, so when our feelings and needs are, are clear, when our mind um, and the other party is receptive, we may consider making a request of them. If we sense that they are not yet receptive because we haven't heard their feelings and needs yet, it's wise to hold off on the request, listen to them, and give them empathy and compassion. Okay? So to really listen. Yeah? Because the other person needs to feel heard before they're going to be receptive to uh, consider changing their behavior. Because when we don't feel heard, then, you know, we're, we're digging in. We feel threatened, you know. And so we dig in, and I'm not listening, and you can say what you want, but the answer's no before you've even asked it. Okay? So, and, and we've been in that state before, so to recognize other people can be like that too. Yeah, we have to listen. And listening is hard because when we feel that sense of urgency and we want to fix the situation in this very instant, who wants to listen to them? Yeah. 
We just want to tell them what to do. Okay. Um, when making a request, it is essential that it be a true request and not a demand masked as a request. Yeah. A request expresses specific positive action that a person can do in the present. It is said politely so that the other person can decline without being anxious that we will be angry or retaliate. Yeah. In the, when we read the paper, uh, so often people are, uh, you know, making remarks to journalists, but they don't want to say their name because they're afraid of retaliation. Yeah. If you live in, in a family, in a work environment, in a political system where you're afraid of retaliation, yeah, then it's, it's, uh, it's difficult. Yeah. You can't hear, you, you, yeah, it, you don't want to hear anything from anybody else and you don't want to say anything either because it's dangerous. For example, rather than saying, <laughs> That this was written in the book a few years ago. It wasn't just written a few days ago. Okay. Stop stamping your feet when you walk down the hallway. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> oh, the people meditating in the chapel. <laughs> yeah, did this uh, ever run through your mind? <laughs> they, were they were meditating downstairs. That stairway there... Part of it goes right over where they're meditating. And they were telling us it sounds like horses running down uh, the way. Yeah. But see, the, the book, yeah, I, I didn't say that. You know, it's, it was published uh, several years ago. Okay. But rather than saying, stop stamping your feet when you walk down the hallway, it's driving me nuts, we would say, would you be willing to walk more softly down the hallway? It would help me to have a sound sleep at night. Okay. I remember that at one point, yeah, somebody was recommending, you know, communication uh, tips. And the first thing you do is tell the other person what they're doing that you don't like. And then you make the request they change. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, because as soon as you tell them what they're doing that they that you don't like, they feel accused and blamed and uh they have no chance to to say what their perspective on the situation was. Yeah. So, uh yeah. For example, here's a good example. Carol's roommate often leaves dirty dishes in the sink. Carol feels irritated because she needs consideration and cleanliness. So that's talking about her needs, consideration and cleanliness. Once she becomes aware of her feelings and needs and accepts them, she may go to her roommate and say, I really like uh, a clean kitchen and feel irritated when the sink is filled with dirty dishes. Okay. So she's just describing a situation 
She's not saying, I really like a clean kitchen, and I feel irritated when you cook, and then you leave your pots and pans and dirty dishes in the sink and all over the joint, and I come in there and have to cook, and I can't get anything because you've left a mess. Okay? So as soon as you're describing the situation and you say to the other person, you did this and you did that, it, it often doesn't work so well because the person feels attacked and accused and they don't have an opportunity to explain. Whereas in this case, Carol says, you know, um, I need, cons- you know, uh, I like having a dirty, uh, I like, no. <laughs> you know, I like having a clean kitchen and I feel irritated when the sink is filled with dirty dishes. Not, it's got to be a clean kitchen and you filled the sink with dirty dishes and you're annoying me. Okay, you see the difference in how it's, how it's phrased? Yeah. Thinking about how even the word even the word irritated might the person the other person might take it the wrong way and get defensive. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there might be like even a better word that would be a little like I would think like if I would in that situation I could say well you know leaving the dirty dishes makes it difficult for me. Yeah. Uh, or something along those lines as opposed to I feel irritated. Irritated. I mean I mean I wouldn't say it in that tone but even that because it. Even that work can trigger something in others. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's just my... No, I think you have a good point there. Yeah. And saying it, it makes it difficult for me to cook lunch. Yeah. Because the other person can understand that. Okay. Anyway, at this point, she said, I feel irritated. So let's hope her roommate is chills. You know, it's okay. And then Carol continues and she says, I, I'd appreciate your help in keeping the kitchen clean. Would you be willing to wash the dishes within an hour after you finish eating? And I'll agree to do the same. Okay. So what's nice about that is, you know, I'll, I'd appreciate your help. Yeah. People like to be helpful. Yeah. And when you say, I'd appreciate your help doing this. And then she gives something specific, you know, if you could wash the dishes, you know, within around an hour after you finish eating, you know. And so that's something doable instead of as soon as you finish chewing your last bite, get up and wash these dishes. You know, she doesn't say that. And then she says, and I'll agree to do the same. So it's making a deal. Both of them are participating in it. Okay. When saying this, Carol has to really mean it. That is, would you be willing to, is not a polite way of saying, I want this kitchen to be immaculate as soon as it gets dirty. (laughs) Okay. So she's saying, would you be willing? She's really giving the other person a choice. Okay. Um. So would you be willing to is a request. And while Carol hopes her roommate will agree, she is okay if her roommate doesn't. Yeah, And simply says, her roommate says, sometimes I'm late for work and can't clean the kitchen immediately. 
Okay? So in that situation, you know, if the roommate responds, I'm late for work and I can't clean the kitchen immediately. Okay, Carol didn't get what she wanted, but she understands why. Yeah? And she had asked that person, and it was a request, and the person said, I can't do it. Yeah? Because I'm clearly, you know, I've got to get to work on time. Okay. If the other person, uh, you know, what, even if Carol asks, says that sometimes in a very nice way and, and from her side, she's asking, uh, you know, she's actually making a request. Sometimes the other person may still hear it as a demand because some of us, that's our, that's our red button. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. So even a request sounds to our ears like a demand. Yeah. So the other person may simply say, no. So what's Carol going to do then? Yeah. What? Move out. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. You may wind up with 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 that kind of thing, yeah? So the key here is to clearly let the other person know what we feel, need, and would like them to do without triggering fears that we are threatening or attacking them and without expecting them to instantly agree. Okay. So sometimes we have to make the request and say, just think about it, let me know later, okay? I wish people would do that more with me because often I'm in the, I'm walking somewhere, I'm in the middle of doing something, they ask me a question and I can't, I need to sit and think about it, but I got to give an answer right then and then I give an answer and then I go back in my room and I think about it and I want to, I have to then <laughs> say, no, don't do it the way I told you, you know, because I needed some time to to think about it. So in that case, if somebody's saying something to me, I need to say, I'll get back to you. I need time to think with it. I think about it. Even though I would like just to give an answer and put the issue to rest because I have other things to do. Yeah. So life is like that, isn't it? <laughs> okay. In other words, before making a request, we have to be okay if the other person says, no, I can't do that. If we aren't, then we're actually making a demand and setting ourselves up for frustration if they don't comply. So first, it's helpful to consider their feelings and use empathy to understand how their emotions and behavior make sense. So again, really thinking, you know, how does this situation appear to that other person? And we don't know their, what their buttons are we don't know how they're interpreting it, but we make some kind of guess realizing that we may be wrong. Yeah? But we, we give it a try. So our aim is not to express our frustration. It is to maintain a good relationship and act with compassion while inviting the other person's help in meeting our need. Yeah. So that's, that's nice, isn't it? We, we cherish the relationship. We want to act with a kind, you know, with kindness. 
and at the same time invite the other person to help us uh, meet the, the present need that we have. Okay. It sounds so easy reading it in the book, doesn't it? Yeah. It's not that easy to do. And when you see it from, the, you know, here uh, we're talking about how to make the request. There's a whole other thing about how to hear when somebody's making you a request. Yeah. And how to discern, are they demanding or requesting? Yeah. And if we have a button about, you know, we don't want anybody demanding we do something, then we have to check how does that influence our relationships. If whenever we hear what we think is a domain a demand, we're not sure from the other person's perspective it is a demand or not, but we're hearing that. If every time I hear that, I say no, how is that going to affect my relationships? And, well, you know, why is this such a big deal for me when somebody tells me what to do? Because there are certain situations where people need to tell somebody else what to do. Okay? I mean, if you're doing, if you're operating on a patient, the doctor is not going to say, would you be willing to hand me, uh, you know, whatever tool you need doing surgery? Yeah. Would you be willing? Yeah. Or the dentist is, is you know, filling your tooth, and, and the dentist has to say, um, you know, I mean, did they have, the dentist has, would you be willing to, you know, make the amalgam so I can, you know, fill this person's tooth? They're going to say, hand me the this or that, you know, do this or that. And there are times, I mean, we can't always re- make it a polite request where the person has the opportunity to say no, because there are times when things need to get done and, you know, somebody's life may even be at stake. <laughs> like you call 911. Do you say, would you be willing to please come out to, you know, uh, you know, the corner of 5th and 9th? Uh, somebody's bleeding to death here. You know, it's no, you don't say, you don't make a request. And so if, you know, the EMT people always need to hear a request and they have the opportunity to say no, somebody's going to bleed to death, and, you know. So, um, you know, there are times when, when people tell, need to tell us what to do. And uh, it's uncomfortable when you're in the position of having to tell somebody what to do. It's not a nice position, Yeah. So sometimes it's good for us if we feel that the other person is bossing us around. That's how we interpret it, bossing, is we're imputing a motivation to them. Yeah. Um, To think, how is it for this person being in the situation of having to tell somebody what to do? Yeah. Because... You know, that person hasn't done it, or nobody's done it, or it needs to be done, or whatever. Yeah. 
Okay. Communicating with care gives us yet another opportunity to deepen our compassion by understanding the other person. We're more likely to communicate effectively when we approach the other person with empathy and compassion. People are naturally more likely to assist us when we, re- when we treat them with respect and kindness. Yeah. So sometimes even you are making a demand, if you phrase it like a request, you'll get a better response, you know. Like there's something urgent that needs to be done. Would you be willing to help out? Um, yeah. And you're, you're really saying, we need you to help. Yeah, but you're saying it in a polite way. Um, it's, it's at least re- expressing respect and kindness. You know, it sounds maybe you're not really giving the other person a chance to say no, but it's at least showing them respect rather than sounding like a dictator who can control them. Yeah. And that I think that's especially good when you're dealing with kids. Yeah. Kids like to help. Huh? And so sometimes, you know, if you say to a child, you know, would you be willing to help me? Yeah. Instead of get in here and clean up your mess, would you be willing to help clean up the mess? Or would you be willing to put away what you took out instead of calling it even a mess? You know, then, uh, you know, it's a demand, but you're expressing it in a nice way to a child. Okay. So it's breaking the NVC rules. You're not supposed to say talk like that. You're not supposed to have that motivation. But sometimes I think it's, yeah, when you need, sometimes you need to make a demand. And when you need to make a demand, at least do it respectfully and kindly. Yeah, without deprecating the other person. When we have an ongoing relationship with someone, it's often worth discussing together the best way to express disagreements and to make requests so that we don't inadvertently push each other's buttons. That is really good to do. Yeah, so when you live with somebody, you work with them a lot, ask them, you know, what is it that pushes your buttons? And then, you know, if they're aware of themselves, they can tell you that, and then you can take care to avoid that. Or similarly, we may sometimes, uh, whether somebody asks or not, let them know what our buttons are. In the device saying something like, I'll give you a tip. If you want me to do something, the best way to say it is da-da-da-da-da. Okay? And then that way we're kind of uh, owning our own stuff, you know, or I'm really sensitive about this, this, and this. So when you want me to do something, please say it in that way and tell them. Okay. We usually don't do that though. Yeah. Somebody else says something, we don't like it. And we go, yeah, which is great for having good relationships, isn't it? 
Yeah. Okay. When we make a request and the other person turns it down, it's best to avoid taking it personally. Do you see how all of this advice is totally the opposite of what we usually do? Yeah? Which is why we need to change, because what we usually do doesn't usually work so well. Okay, so not taking things personally. There's no sense in making up stories. He is trying to be hard on me, or she's on a power trip and wants to control me. Oh, my goodness. We think those things so often, don't we? Yeah. Rather, extend some empathy. Tell him that, uh, that you hear that what his feelings and needs are. In this case, you know, if, if her roommate said no, Carol would say, are you feeling pressured because you need to be at work on time? Yeah. What's her roommate going to say? Yeah, thank you for understanding what my situation is. So her roommate will likely feel validated and appreciate the understanding. Because her roommate knows that Carol understands her situation, yeah, the roommate will probably be more cooperative. Yeah. And so uh, she may go on to say, but when I'm not running late, I'll clean the kitchen right away. And if I am, I'll do it as soon as I can. Yeah. So, you know, by making a request uh, and the other person hearing it as a request, then some cooperation can happen, even if our original uh, request can't be met exactly as we would like it, you know. So Carol made a request that her roommate couldn't agree to, but since Carol was opening, was open to negotiating the point, they could find a plan that worked for both of them. If they couldn't do that, maybe Carol would decide to clean the kitchen herself to help her roommate. Or perhaps she would accept that neatness is not her roommate's strong point. In any case, in order to be happy, Carol knows that she has to change her outlook and let go of blaming or criticizing her roommate. Acknowledging her feelings and needs takes her in that direction, as does offering herself empathy. Okay, so she asked for what she would like. She didn't get it, so she knows that she has to either let go of something or understand something about the roommate, okay? Now, you may consider that if the goal is to get the roommate to wash her dishes, there are other ways to accomplish that. Indeed, in the short term, it may work to threaten, cajole, or attack another person to get our way. (laughs) You know, if you don't do your part, I'm not going to do mine either. Yeah, if you can't keep the kitchen clean, maybe I'll have to find another roommate who can. Okay, so, um, you know, Carol may be at her wit's end there and may say something like that. But the problem with these approaches is that they create many nasty consequences. They damage the relationship 
create tension that will likely lead to other problems in the future, and reinforce unhelpful thoughts and emotions in our own minds that can lead to future problems. And those possible results are not worth it. The key is to find ways to address such situation that don't lead to the other person to don't lead the other person to feel vulnerable or unsafe. So we are not responsible for how the other person reacts. Their emotions are their emotions. Their interpretations are their responsibility. We are not responsible for it. However, we know that if we put things in a certain way, we are make it easier for the other person to cooperate. So if we know that for the sake of the other person and for our own sake and the sake of the relationship, then let's make it easy on ourselves and on them, uh, you know, so that cooperation can happen. Okay. But we can't always guarantee that we make somebody feel safe or dissolve their vulnerability because people, you know, we don't know somebody's background. We don't know their, their, what happens. And we say something that sounds perfectly okay to us. And the other person, you know, just explodes and either gets angry or they burst out crying or they, who knows what. Okay. So we would only say, yeah, so instead of doing it in an attacking mode like that, yeah, we could say, if this continues, I'm going to move out as a last resort after we've exhausted all other options. So kind of, you know, you try and do what you can, and then if you really can't stand it, then like what you said, you say, you know, if it continues like this, I'm going to move out. In addition, such a statement must be a realistic description of our position and not a threat. So you must really mean it that if it continues, you're going to, move out. So you're just giving the person notice. Yeah. Okay. In the end, some behaviors may be deal breakers and it's okay to convey that. But because thinking or saying, if things don't change, our relationship will have to increases the pressure on ourselves and other people. It's better to try uh, less extreme measures first. Yeah then changing the relationship to, you know, I'm Putin and, you know, (laughs) I'm going to tell you what to do here. Okay. So the reflection here is think and uh, this, you know, oh, we're not having discussion groups today, are we? Oh, okay. Well, you know, try and do this when you go home. Yeah. Think of a problematic situation in which you would like to make a request of another person. Sit quietly and identify your feelings and needs without thinking of the other person as the source of your feelings or as responsible for satisfying your needs. That's a big one. Yeah, because if we think they're responsible to make us happy, and that they better satisfy our needs, 
then it's not going to be, it's not going to go so well. Think about the other person's perspective. What might he or she feel about this situation? How might his behavior make sense from that person's other viewpoint? Yeah. Is there a request you could politely make to the other person to ask for his cooperation in changing a particular behavior? Invite his help to meet your need. Make sure that this is a genuine request and not a demand. Get your mind to the point where you are okay if the other person declines your request. And then make your request. Yeah. And give the person space and they may say no. And then you know that, you know, you, you know, maybe you maybe you just have to chill out. That it's not going to happen the way you want it. And the other person also has feelings and needs in the situation that you need to take into account. Yeah. And, you know, if it's a dealer, deal breaker, then you may say, maybe we better work in different departments or whatever you want to say. Okay. Or, uh, yeah, you might, yeah, because we can't control how other people respond, can we? We can't control. We can try our best to make it a, a reasonable request, yeah, and have some understanding for the other person's position and their feelings and needs, but we can't control the whole thing, yeah. And us having a mind that blames them if they say, you know, sorry, I can't do that, and then we blame them. Oh, you're so selfish. Yeah, you're always interfering. You don't care about me. Yeah, that if we respond like that, then who's the one who's, who's uh, interrupting the peace in the relationship? It's not just the other person. It's also us by our getting angry. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, we did two chapters. Yeah. Next month, we do apologizing and forgiving. That's a big one. Okay. Um, we're a little over time, but maybe there's a couple of questions people may have. Going back to the earlier chapter that you did, um, uh, I'm, no, I'm not the only one of, who's quite good in trying to interpret what people are responding to me, and I'm usually wrong, often wrong. But there's also the other part of, of being aware of the other person's kind of state of mind before you communicate. So if you would speak a little bit to the difference between mind reading and projecting and being sensitive, you know, where that place is of, uh, do you understand what I mean? Kind of yeah. Discerning what's going on in your own okay. mind. It's kind of messy. Yeah. So first of all, to realize that uh, we're making a guess. We don't really know how the other person, if the person's receptive at that point. Yeah. We could try. I think uh, the first thing is, if, if it's somebody you know well, to think, okay, I know that person well in past situations when I've seen them in, in, in this kind of situation, how have they responded if I bring something up? Yeah. So you rely on 
your previous knowledge of the person. Or you may look at it and say, how would I feel? But of course, you don't know the whole situation the other person's in, so you're really just making a guess. And then the best thing to do is to ask. Yeah, I have something that's on my mind. Is this a good time for you for us to talk about it? And the other person may say, no. You know, I'm in the middle of doing something and I have a due date or I have to, you know, rush off and do something else. Uh, Can we talk about it later? And to realize that when that person says that, they aren't brushing you off. Yeah, they're just telling the truth of, you know, I can't take that in right now. Or sometimes the other person, it may be something very sensitive, and the other person may say, you know, I'm not ready to talk about that. Yeah, because they know that you want to talk about, you know, some deep thing and, you know, analyzing the relationship to death because... (laughs) because you have that tendency and the other person, you know, doesn't. And they, you know, I, you know, I really don't want to hash through that again. And then you have to say, "Mm, okay. Sort of off the top of Venerable's training question is, there's also this place that I'm trying to find too, is that sometimes between me and another person, we both get into these afflicted state of minds. So rather than going back and saying, can we talk about it later, just say, I'm afflicted, you're upset, let's work on our minds, and can we just find some resolution within our own minds, you know, not to bring it up as a topic of process, mm-hmm. you know, because living in community, we're continually, you know, we're, we're all over the board with our emotions, but to have to process every time both of us <laughs> are not happy, we take a lot of time, Yeah, take a lot of time. Yeah. And just to take responsibility for your own upset, you know, rather than having to process. Right. When we first started doing NVC in the community some years ago, yeah, uh, then all this, uh, so much, because Marshall talks so much about empathy and asking somebody what they're feeling and what they're needing and expressing our feelings and our needs. And some of us, you know, for years, that's been our MO, and, you know, we just like to dissect relationships and analyze relationships and analyze, you know, every small thing somebody did and their word choice and what it actually meant deep down, okay? Um, so some of you may be like that. Some of you may not know what in the world I'm talking about. <laughs> And some of you may have encountered people like that and gone, ay, they. So the thing to, to do is, you know, I mean, things have to get done. We can't analyze things to death and process everything that happens. You know, so you kind of have to choose, you know, if something has is a problem that's happened more than once, you know, and you're getting triggered and the other person's getting triggered, then probably it's a good thing to sit down and have a talk about it, okay? But then there's also the thing of going away and, and looking at, um, at what's going on with us and is this really something that we need to process with the other person or is it... Just another stage show of 
you know, my uh, self-centered thought. You know, here's my self-centered thought. I want this. I want that. I should be this way. It should be that way. Everybody should listen to my ideas because my ideas are best. And everybody should, you know, uh, they sh- everybody should car- cut the carrots this way. They shouldn't cut them in any other way. And uh, and people need to say please and thank you to me. And, you know, oh, this is just my mind that wants to control the world. My self-centered mind. Yeah, I don't really need to sit down with the other person and process all of that like we've done for, you know... <laughs> Who knows how long I need to let go. You know, this is my self-centered mind, my stuff. This is a small incident. I need to drop it. What I'm saying, yeah, is to, to look at our own selves. Instead of taking our emotions, our interpretations as an objective truth, to ask ourselves, you know, is, am I seeing an objective truth or is this a display of my self-centered attitude where I want everything to be the way I want it to be? Yeah. And I want to sit and talk about the relationship for five hours because that's the way I feel close to somebody. But that's not the way the other person feels close to me. You know, they don't want to sit and talk about the relationship for five hours. So, you know, I have to kind of let go and find other, you know, see how to feel close to the the other person in another way. Instead of demanding, you know, we got to process this. You know, you told me how to cut the carrots again. And I know how to cut the carrots so why are you always telling me how to do that? How to do that? You know, this is a re- racist remark. Yeah, I dyed my hair orange, and that has to do with carrots. And you're telling me how to cut the carrots because you don't like my orange hair. Okay. Yeah, sounds ridiculous. To another person, it makes total sense. Okay? Yeah? What some people see as microaggressions, another person doesn't see as aggressive at all. Yeah? And you never know, do you? Uh Because every person is sensitive about something else, and we can't read other people's minds and what they're sensitive about. So we do our best. And when people step on our toes, we, do, we try not to take it personally because we know that they're doing their best and they can't read our mind. Yeah. They don't know my, you know, what I've experienced earlier in my life. They don't know my family background. Yeah. They may see my race, but they don't really know my ethnicity or my religion or what country I was born in or what kind of household I grew up in. So they don't know what's going to say, what they say is going to trigger me. So, you know, there has to be something, I think, on both sides. I know that what I'm saying is not popular. 
but this is how I feel. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we have to, to uh, yeah, see when it's our stuff and know that there's no possible way we're going to get the world to be sensitive to everything we need and everything we've experienced and that we can't do the same. And to, I think what, what's helpful is to assume that people have a good motivation and they may be insensitive, yeah? They may be like a bull in a china shop, yeah? But I don't, some people may say, oh, I like being the bull in the china shop and messing everything up. There are people that are like that. But I think it's better to start off with giving somebody the benefit of the doubt, you know? And they're doing the best they can with what they know and what they've experienced. And, you know, I can chill out too and learn not to be so offended about everything. <laughs> the one thing that I have seen that does work if, if between that relationship is to go back the next day and say, I, I realized that I really missed the mark yesterday. Yeah. You know what? Something else was going on. I apologize for any type of disturbance that might have happened there. Yeah. That's good. That's the next chapter, apologizing and <laughs> forgiving. Okay? Yeah? When we see that. And so in some situations, we may just say right at that moment, you know, I'm, I'm upset. I need to leave the situation and calm down, and I'll get back to you later. And then, you know, when we get back to them, we may start off with that apology. You know, what you said, I know that you didn't, you may not have met it meant it to harm me, and you probably didn't because we've been friends for a long time, and I was triggered, and I just stomped off, and, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, owning our own stuff. Yeah, and if we own our stuff, then the other person may say, well, you know, I also wasn't so careful about my word choice and what I said or, you know. I was also triggered, and I said something I shouldn't have. Okay.